0: Good morning, and thank you for joining us on Five at Eight. It's Wednesday, June 21st, 2023, and here's Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman with today's top news. In this episode, we'll talk about a Palestinian gunman killing at least four people in the West Bank, a new study finding that gas stoves can raise indoor concentrations of cancer-linked chemical benzene, U.S. President Joe Biden calling Chinese President Xi Jinping a dictator, Israeli forces launching an attack on the Jenin refugee camp and Iceland suspending this year's whale hunt due to animal welfare concerns. Story number one. According to The Guardian, a Palestinian gunman has killed at least four people and injured several others in a shooting near an Israeli settlement in the West Bank. The Israeli security forces have said that they shot the attacker and are searching for other attackers. The incident occurred near the settlement of Eli, north of Ramallah. The condition of the attacker is not known. The shooting follows a deadly Israeli military raid into the northern West Bank Janine refugee camp on Monday that killed six Palestinians and wounded many more. Are we really seeing another escalation of violence in the West Bank? I mean, this recent attack by a Palestinian gunman at a gas station near an Israeli settlement is just tragic. Four people lost their lives, and several others were wounded.
1: It's incredibly disheartening, Mark. The situation in the region has been tense for a long time, but this recent surge in violence is especially concerning. It's not just this attack. We've seen a series of violent incidents in recent months.
0: Absolutely, Linda. And it's not just Palestinians attacking Israelis. We've also seen Israeli military raids into the West Bank, like the one in the Janine refugee camp, which resulted in six Palestinian deaths and dozens wounded. It's a vicious cycle that just seems to
1: keep going. You're right, Mark. It's important to recognize that there are victims on both sides of this conflict. Civilians are caught in the crossfire and their lives are being disrupted by this ongoing violence.
0: It's just so frustrating, you know? I can't help but think about other territorial disputes in history where both parties eventually found a way to coexist peacefully. It makes me wonder what it's going to take for Israelis and Palestinians to reach that point.
1: It's a complex issue, Mark, and there's no easy solution. But I do believe that diplomatic efforts and dialogue between both sides are crucial in working towards a more peaceful relationship. It's important for leaders to prioritize the well-being of their people and strive for a future where both Israelis and Palestinians can live in security and peace.
0: I couldn't agree more, Linda. It's going to take a lot of hard work, determination, and compromise. But I truly believe that peace is possible if both sides are willing to come to the table and work together.
1: Let's hope that we'll see more efforts towards peace and stability in the region soon. The people living there deserve nothing less.
0: Story number two. According to The Guardian, a new study has found that using a gas stove can raise indoor concentrations of benzene, a cancer-linked chemical, to levels above what's found in secondhand smoking, or even beyond levels found next to oil and gas facilities. The research measured benzene levels in 87 homes in California and Colorado and found that gas and propane stoves frequently emitted benzene at rates well above healthy benchmarks set by the World Health Organization and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Even low-burning hobs, or gas oven use, emit significant levels of benzene. Induction stoves emit no benzene at all, the researchers found. Could you believe that? Gas stoves emitting benzene levels higher than secondhand smoke? I mean, we've been using gas stoves for ages and now we're just finding out about this? It's kind of crazy, don't you think?
1: It is concerning, Mark. But I think it's important to remember that research and technology are constantly evolving. This new study is the first to measure benzene levels indoors effectively. So it's not surprising that we're only now becoming aware of the extent of the problem.
0: Yeah, but I mean, come on, a third of households in the U.S. use gas stoves. Are we supposed to just switch to induction or electric stoves overnight? That's not exactly practical, especially for lower-income families.
1: I understand your point, Mark, but we need to weigh the potential health risks against the inconvenience of switching to cleaner-burning appliances. The study found that even low doses of benzene can raise the risk of cancers like lymphomas and leukemia. If we can reduce those risks by making a change, shouldn't we consider it?
0: Sure, but there's got to be a better way than just banning gas stoves outright like some politicians are proposing. Maybe we can improve ventilation systems or encourage the use of range hoods that actually expel harmful chemicals.
1: That's a valid point, Mark. Improving ventilation systems and promoting the use of effective range hoods can certainly help reduce the risks associated with benzene exposure. But we should also consider the long-term benefits of transitioning to cleaner technologies like induction and electric stoves when it's time for families to replace their old appliances.
0: Well, I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one, Linda. I still think it's a bit of an overreaction, but I can see where you're coming from.
1: That's completely fine, Mark. It's important that we have these discussions and consider different perspectives. After all, that's how we can make informed decisions and work towards a healthier future for everyone.
0: Story number three. U.S. President Joe Biden called Chinese President Xi Jinping a dictator during a fundraiser in California, as reported by the BBC, a day after U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Mr. Xi in Beijing to ease tensions between the two countries. Mr. Xi said that some progress had been made during the talks, while Mr. Blinken indicated both sides were open to more discussions. China has not yet responded to Mr. Biden's comments. The U.S. and China have long had disagreements over issues including trade, human rights, and Taiwan, with tensions worsening over the past year. This recent news about Biden calling Xi a dictator right after Blinken's meeting with Xi in Beijing is quite a twist, huh? How do you think this affects the delicate balance between diplomacy and confrontation in international relations?
1: Well, Mark, it's definitely a delicate situation. On one hand... The talks between Blinken and Xi were aimed at easing tensions, and it seemed like there was some progress made. But on the other hand, Biden's comment might be seen as a step back, potentially undermining the efforts made during the talks.
0: Right. It's like walking a tightrope. Can you think of any historical examples where countries had to walk this line and faced consequences due to missteps or inconsistencies in messaging?
1: Certainly, Mark. One example that comes to mind is the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. The US and the Soviet Union had to carefully navigate diplomatic channels while simultaneously preparing for potential military confrontation. In that case, a misstep could have led to a full-scale nuclear war. Thankfully, diplomacy ultimately prevailed. But it highlights the importance of consistent messaging and careful negotiation in such situations,
0: That's a great example, Linda. Now, how does political rhetoric, like Biden's comment, play a role in shaping perceptions and policymaking both domestically and internationally?
1: Political rhetoric can be a double-edged sword, Mark. On one hand, it can rally support among the domestic population and convey a strong message to the international community. But on the other hand, it can also provoke reactions from other nations and escalate tensions. In this case, Biden's comment might be seen as a way to appease critics who accuse his administration of being soft on China. However, it could also complicate diplomatic efforts and further strain the U.S. China relationship.
0: That's a great point, Linda. It's certainly a complex issue. And I guess it's a reminder that diplomacy and international relations are not always straightforward. Thanks for sharing your insights.
1: You're welcome, Mark. It's always important to consider the nuances and complexities of these situations. And I'm glad we could have this discussion.
0: Story number four. Al Jazeera reports that Israeli forces launched an attack on the Janine refugee camp in the occupied West Bank on Monday, killing six Palestinians and injuring many more. The Israeli military has increased its raids against Palestinians this year, resulting in deaths and injuries. The city of Janine has become symbolic of the Palestinian resistance, with several armed groups emerging from there. Israel says it is going after these groups. But Palestinians argue that they are the ones paying the price. The question remains whether there is a risk of further escalation. Where do we even begin with the recent attack on the Janine refugee camp by Israeli forces? This year has seen an alarming escalation in the occupied West Bank, something we haven't witnessed in decades. It's truly concerning.
1: Indeed, Mark. The situation is quite distressing and the far-right Israeli government's increased raids on Palestinians seem to be exacerbating tensions. The attack on Janine, which has become symbolic of Palestinian resistance, raises questions about the potential for further destabilization in the region.
0: Absolutely, Linda. It's clear that Israel is targeting armed groups that they believe pose a threat to their security. But at what cost? It's the Palestinian people who are bearing the brunt of these military operations, with lives lost and many more injured.
1: That's a valid point, Mark. When we look back at the history of the conflict between Israel and Palestine, we can see that escalations like this often lead to even more violence and unrest. It's crucial for both sides to find a way to de-escalate the situation and prevent further harm to innocent civilians.
0: Right. And we can't ignore the role of international diplomacy in all of this. It's time for world leaders to step in and help both Israeli and Palestinian authorities find a way to resolve their differences peacefully. The stakes are just too high to let this spiral out of control.
1: I couldn't agree more, Mark. The consequences of inaction are simply too dire. History has shown us that when tensions escalate, it can lead to devastating outcomes. Let's hope that diplomatic efforts can help bring about a resolution and pave the way for a more stable future for both Israelis and Palestinians.
0: Story number five. In a report from Al Jazeera, Iceland has suspended this year's whale hunt until August 31st due to animal welfare concerns, which is likely to bring the controversial practice to a historic end. The government said that if the government and licensees cannot guarantee welfare requirements, these activities do not have a future. Iceland has only one remaining whaling company, Valur, and its license to hunt fin whales expires in 2023. The hunting of fin whales was resumed in Iceland in 2006 following a 1986 moratorium, but catches have gone down drastically in recent years because of a dwindling market for whale meat. Why do you think Iceland decided to suspend this year's whale hunt? It's a pretty big move considering their history with whaling.
1: Yes, it's definitely a significant decision. The main reason behind the suspension is animal welfare concerns. A recent monitoring report by Iceland's Food and Veterinary Authority found that the killing of fin whales took too long, which goes against the main objectives of the Animal Welfare Act.
0: Oh, I see. I remember watching that shocking video of a whale being hunted for five hours. It was just awful. Do you think this suspension could lead to a permanent ban on whaling in Iceland?
1: It's certainly a possibility. The Minister of Food, Agriculture and Fisheries, Svandis Svavrstotir, has said that if the government and licensees cannot guarantee welfare requirements, whaling activities don't have a future. She's also planning to seek opinions of experts and whale hunting license holders to explore further limitations on whaling.
0: That's interesting. I know there's been a lot of opposition to whaling not just in Iceland but also in other countries like Japan and Norway. What do you think it would take for these countries to follow Iceland's example and suspend or even ban whaling?
1: There are several factors that could contribute to the suspension or banning of whaling in these countries. One is the increasing awareness of animal welfare and environmental concerns. As more people become aware of the cruelty involved in whaling and its impact on marine ecosystems, public pressure could lead to policy changes. Another factor is the economic viability of whaling. As the market for whale meat dwindles, it becomes less profitable for companies to continue hunting whales.
0: Yeah, I can see how that would make a difference. And I guess it's also worth mentioning the growth of the tourism industry, like whale-watching tours, which could be negatively impacted by whaling activities. It's a complex issue, for sure.
1: Absolutely. The balance between cultural traditions, economic interests, and ethical considerations makes this a challenging issue to navigate. But the recent decision by Iceland to suspend whaling is a step in the right direction and could potentially influence other countries to reconsider their stance on the practice.
0: That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow.
1: Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit Botcaster.ai.